No. No, not yet. We all, I, I can edit it's this fine. out. I can edit yeah. this out. You can after. edit the whole thing out. I can put it in whenever I want. Okay. Welcome to the Cutaway Podcast. My name is William Mullally. I'm a writer, film critic, interviewer based in Dubai. And this is the start of season two, so I wanted to add a little introduction, say hello, ground us a little bit because the conversation might go a bit off the rails as soon as it begins. Uh, apologies about that. I promise. I, okay, I can't promise. But it might not happen again for a little bit. And this week we're talking about Kafir and the Home, the Oscar-nominated Lebanese film by Nadine Labaki. Um, really a, a film that warrants a really serious discussion. So I brought on Buthana Kazim, who's the founder of the Art House Cinema in Dubai, Cinema Akil. And I, I think that this is a film that Nadine worked for, for years on. Um, and so you'll also hear a conversation later in the show with Nadine and I talking about the history of the film, where it's going to go next, um, her experiences at the Oscars, even you know her throwing my criticisms right back at me. I do want to warn you, though, I will be reintroducing this podcast in about three minutes because I kind of forgot to tell Buthena exactly when the podcast was starting, and she started saying really good stuff before I had even said hello. So apologies about that. I promise I'll only introduce it twice, and then at about the hour mark, we'll get to our conversation with Nadine. So I'm really excited for, for you guys to listen, and uh, I hope this is a, you know, a place you guys come back to soon. So what, like, don't you want to say about the film? Like, no, no, I mean, it's not, nothing particular that I don't want to say about the film. It's more, you know, just um, the role that, that I'm trying to carve out for Cinema Aqid and the voice that we're trying to be is not necessarily that of a critic. I'm happy that there are people like you and, you know, and Tim and other people that do this work, you know, on, on the regular in different capacities and scales. And I think that's a healthy kind of life cycle of the mini ecosystem that we're trying to build. But, you know... Like my job, I feel at this stage is to you know present work that you know has long been either ignored or mis mispresented or you know or 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 invisible or mm. made or rendered invisible. So, you know, kind of going into the space or the you know sort of the authoritative voice of a critic is not really something that you know I feel I'm equipped to do at this point or, or should yeah. be doing you know to the films that I'm putting out. But like watching, I mean, you can still. Personalized. I mean, even if you're not saying everything, you can say like, what touched you about the film, what interested you about the film. Yeah, I mean, I can be a discussant of the film. Yeah, that's what I'm happy to do. I can be do. discussant of a lot of things. I can be critical, but yes. you can just be discussing the film because yeah. it's an interesting film. I can be critical too. I mean, I don't have a problem being critical about the films that we show. I mean, we're showing a film like you know, Leaving Neverland, which mm. you know is neither an endorsement, Sorry. which is a whole entire other podcast. You know, <laughs> yeah. like. Uh, discussion and world and you know and it's not really an endorsement or you know uh like an assailing of the of the film but it's it's also or a takedown necessarily it's just a you know a space where you know we're trying to allow these films to become more than what they are than just you know the viewing process and presentation we're allowing them to you know to 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 create a new imagination of how we see ourselves in the world mm. and Kafanaum is a good example of that i mean the kind of I've always said that it embodies a lot of the things that Cinema Aqid was created to do. You know, it ticks a lot of the boxes of, you know, of what it's supposed to be presenting or what we're trying to present. 
that is, you know, that is different because we're not revolutionizing anything. We're not creating something, you know, original per se. The art houses exist everywhere, and they, you know, they are rooted in community, um, kind of being a, being some sort of ricochet, you know, of, of community ideas, identities, struggles, you know, and 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 you know, and tribulations. But you know, we're trying to do that specifically here, which is a very complex environment. So, yeah. you know presenting a film like Home inside like a space like you know cinema in Alcoz in a city like Dubai you know is all, is in itself kind of this you know unique explosive strange you know oxymoronic kind of uh, process and you know an experience mm. and i'm i'm curious to see how it will be received and how it will land or whether it will land at, at all you know yeah. like there's a lot of dynamics that are you know, at play in a place like Dubai when you're showing films from different parts of the world because of demographic diversity, you know, a lot of people tend to want to watch films because of either national kind of pride or, you know, a certain language or, you know, or a conversation they've been having, you know, within their own communities, you know, mm -hmm. and because it's some sort of like, it's not really a mosaic per se because mosaic requires some sort of like adhesive to bring everything together. And, you know, Dubai tends to be like this bag of marbles. Um, and, you know, Kafarna Home definitely has that whole sort of, you know, Oscars can, you know, award-winning, award circuit, you know, fame and Oprah endorsement advantage to it, which has, you know, given it a lot more support and a lot more leverage. Um, and the fact that Nadine's been out and making these films, you know, but we actually opened our film consciously with a film that's, you know, that was a, that was a can, um, Palm d'Or contender, Yomeddin, Abu Bakr Shawi's film. And you know, that in itself is a film, you know, it also sort of stands true, truer maybe, to what cinema you know, is. You know, it's the underdog film. It's a film, it's a first trial, you know, it's a shot in the dark type film. And, you know, at the end of the day it uplifts you and like and you know and, and makes you like, you know, cry your heart out. So those are the kinds of films that we're trying to go after, and yes, it's great that Kavanaugh got all of its, you know, awards and got all this recognition, and you know, Nadine has kind of taken, you know, taken it to its full sort of fruition. And I think, you know, what's what's next is going to be really interesting in sort of her trajectory and her choices. But I think she's, you know, stayed true and stuck the course of, you know, of of, of making a film like this. It makes sense that she came out of, you know, the world of, you know, making an Anzi Ajram uh, music video, and that was her sort of her starting space. And I think it rings true to you know, the, the possibility or the ability of, of filmmakers in this part of the world to, you know, to, to not necessarily be able to just catapult, you know, themselves into the award-winning red carpet, you know, festival glory. You have to do the, the grunt work of the commercial space, which is where the money is and where a lot of the work is, you know, and it's hard to be an independent filmmaker. So yeah. for her to, you know, be now recognized for this film, you know, and for her to get the nominations that she did out of that kind of experience says a lot about where we are, you know, and I think it's, um, that in itself is, you know, is a hat tip right there. Yeah. So to like officially start, mm -hmm. let's just jump in. Oh, we haven't? Well, like I can, I <laughs> you can, can edit take that whatever you want. Yeah. I can pretend that yeah. was part of it, yes, but like I want to introduce it first. Okay. So um, welcome to episode one of season two of the Cutaway Podcast. I'm William Mullally. I'm a film critic and writer, person who talks about movies um, based in Dubai. It's my 10th year here. Wow. You've been here for ever? Forever? Yeah, I mean, no, I was born in Bahrain, but, mm -hmm. you know, grew up here, in and out, you know, left for a bit, came back, you know, it sort of had to Hotel California, 
Um, but yeah, I grew up like in Satwa area, you yeah. know, Dubai through and through. Saw it through all its like you know superlatives and glory. So um, we're talking today about Kafan in the Home, Nadine Labaki's latest film, her third film. Um, I wanted to bring on a special guest to talk about it with me. If you wanted to introduce yourself, give me like, give me the the, the business card. So my business card right now says on the back of the business card it says follow us into the dark, which is what we've been trying to get people to do after since we set up Cinemakio four years ago. So I run a thing called Cinemakio. Um, we used to call it a platform because we didn't really have a space, and now we have an art house, an art house space, a single screen cinema in Alcos inside Al Sarkal Avenue. Uh, we're based in Dubai, and we do pop up cinemas, public screenings across the UAE. Awesome. So I, I think that this is. I think a really big film in the you know the Arab cinema space in terms of the development of Arab cinema in terms of you know the global recognition of Arab cinema and I think that although there have been a lot of different you know movements you can't really just it's not really a, like a one homogenous thing Arab cinema mm -hmm. I think that there is obviously dialogue and obviously it does affect the region and you know it inspires the region and it can help you know the development of you know, the rest of the, the nascent industries that pop up in each of the countries. So I think it's a really important film in a lot of ways. Um, I think it's a really interesting film to, like, talk about where it fits into that framework. And I think that Nadine, as, as a filmmaker, is really interesting in the way that she's also... So I, I think, oh, so if we go, like, into her career, she started um, her first film, it was 2007, I believe, um, Caramel. Caramel, yes, and which is where she met Khaled Muzannar. Yes, her who was her composer. Producer and husband. Yes. He, they, he was just a composer on yes, Caramel, right? Yes, he was. And then they, and then they met. And they, they blossomed yes. as a relationship. Yeah, in many ways. Yeah, yeah right? So that's I mean, really this cool. soundtrack, the soundtrack for Cup in the Home in itself is like enigmatic and, you know, just deserves its own like listening party, which is an idea for, for something to do that's with That's true. Him. And he has amazing hair. He does. He's got the most amazing hair. I don't know how he keeps it up. I was sitting that's on a whole other interview <laughs> that I want to do. <laughs> <laughs> no, but there was some weird, I was like on the red carpet when this movie was premiering, and I'm with all these you know TV presenters, you know the most beautiful uh, on camera people that we have in the region. Everyone's just sitting there, just like, damn, his hair is amazing. <laughs> Nobody could fathom it's it. How invincible. does he do it? How does he do that? <laughs> anyway, not really film analysis, but I, I think that so her career though, with Caramel, she started off doing a program at the Cannes Film Festival. Mm -hmm. That was kind of what helped get that film off the ground. This and is the foundation, yeah. And then it, it debuted at the, at the festival itself when it yeah. was finished. And so I think that her career has always been kind of tied to the West in a lot of ways because the films have been you know, supported, they've been viewed there, and that's kind of helped her um, reputation build and helped her also, I think it's one of the reasons, if I'm to speculate, why her films are so much a comment on Lebanon itself because I feel like she takes that responsibility because she knows these films are being seen by a global audience mm -hmm. for sure um, and so I think that with the first film we saw I mean disagree with me at any point if you feel like I'm, I'm getting this wrong but I, you know with the first film Caramel it's very much about the experience of being a woman in Lebanon you know how you're treated you know how you're dealing with you know a patriarchal system how you can even be in different relationships and how friendships work, there's so many different things there. Second film, Halat Wayne, or Where Do We Go Now, is very much about the intersection of the you know two dominant faiths in Lebanon, Christianity and Islam, and how- So told through the lens of women, yeah. I mean, as, as very strong sort of, you know, matriarchal voices and forces, you know, and often presented as the contrary. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think you're definitely right about her kind of taking the responsibility of, like, 
whether it's conscious or not, mm -hmm. you know, uh, for her being the prophet and being the messenger of, you know, of, of all things Lebanon and commentary on, you know, on, on social kind of, you know, woes and norms. Uh, I think there's something about the fact that she was a kind of sweetheart from the get-go. You know, mm -hmm. it's always, she's always a filmmaker that will be you know be be very big in Europe you know will always have that voice especially in in the Cannes Film Festival like she'll always have her space she you know she was on the jury at some point so you know she she will continue to you know to to take uh, her space there and I think you know that definitely puts a lot of pressure on but I think the thing that Catherine Nahum represents is is a little bit of a shift you know from um, I mean, yes, it is a very clear, you know, very clear commentary, you know, on where the state of Lebanon, uh, you know, uh, both figuratively and literally and politically, but also, you know, from, you know, placing the onus on 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 sort of societal, sort of dynamics, you know, and, and really taking a larger view and an aerial view, as you know, as you'll see in the film, you mm. know, on 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 where it sits, you know, in the rest of the world and where, you know, and the and the the weight that it's been carrying, you know, by a lot of different things that she addresses in the in the film, mm -hmm. and you know, and and taking away that sort of the seduct the seduction, you know, of 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 the of her previous films, which you know she did very powerfully, um, you know, the using kind of the women the the woman's the woman voice, you know, that she carries as a director, you know, which which carries you know very strongly throughout even even this film. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, and using that the, the the woman the experience of womanhood, you know, women friendships and you know, and animosities and complexities and so on, and, and that kind of understanding and regurgitation of you know of society through the lens of, her, of through her lens, um, you know, her as Nadine, but also her as you know the Arab woman, the Lebanese woman, in mm. you know in, in different contexts, uh, in Kafar Nahom, I think she kind of, you know, takes a much more. Uh, like uh, it's all also very pertinent to you know the woman the experience of womanhood kind of circling back to you know early childhood and you know and taking the view of that you know of of of, of you know Zayn her main character and you know and his relationship and his sort of his uh, need you know of 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 the women in his life and mm. their absences and their own tribulations. So just to um, in case anyone doesn't know, so this film. Um, it's basically about uh, a young boy named Zane. He's 12 years old or so, he guesses, because he doesn't have you know, actual documentation as to when he was born, who is you know, living in a, a family where a number of the children have, it's implied that have, they have died. They're not really being taken care of by their parents. His only respite in life is his relationship with his sister, and his sister is being married off at 13 years old to... Um, an older man who owns a shop next door and basically he decides that he's had enough and he tries to get away from his family, go and make it on his own but obviously he has no real means to do that he meets a young woman who's an Ethiopian woman who escaped from her own situation because she fell in love that did not work out, she now has a child who she can't take care of, who also doesn't have documentation she's you know, struggling to, to get by herself and they, they help each other out in order just to survive ultimately this, this kid in the frame of the story is that he wants to sue his own parents for, for being born, I think not because he wants to get money out of them, but just because he wants to make a stand and you know, say something that you know, people in this sort of situation need to be more responsible with the way that they're living their own lives and the, the ways that they're bringing people into the world and the situation in which they're bringing them. So I think mm -hmm. that it's a film that really tackles a lot of those issues. But I, I think that what makes it most interesting 
to me, I mean, as a viewer, and I think the thing that makes it most striking to everyone is that as a departure from her previous films, which feel like films in a lot of ways, this one I think she very consciously tried to make feel as much like a documentary as possible, just in the way that it's filmed. She made sure that every single shot, everything, every person, every piece of background mise-en-scene came from this real world. Mm -hmm. It's lived in. It's every character. Every, Zayn himself was a boy who's a, a Syrian refugee who they, they found off the street in a in a audition. Um, everyone's own situation mirrors that of their own characters. And so I think that she tried to capture this as authentically as possible to try to capture the experience of you know living in abject poverty in Lebanon today. Yeah, and I mean, you know, it's interesting that it came after Nadine's own campaign, you know, activism and involvement in, you know, especially after the trash crisis and, you know, and, and her being actively lending her voice, you know, to, to uh, you know, to the opposition of, you know, and, and, and challenging the government and really having a strong political voice and a strong political, you know, presence and role. And, you know, this Home kind of makes sense as a, as a, you know, as an expansion of that because she tackles everything from, uh, you know, from the refugee crisis, the Syrian refugee crisis, in you know, in and and in the Syrian presence in Lebanon today, uh, you know, after the war, uh, the Ethiopian, you know, the Ethiopian, the treatment of Ethiopian, uh, you know, maids and effectively indentured labor, uh, you know, documentations, the uh, the absence of the, the, the sort of the, the perils of you know of the of the state of the government, you know, over the years that the film was shot, uh, you know, the trash crisis is sort of sprinkled in there as well. You know, and the repercussions on you know the economy, and which has led you know Zayn's family to take the route that they did, and you know even though he does sue them at the end, and it becomes a familial issue, really that specificity of that you know family situation is a larger commentary on, you know I think her view on on you know on what Lebanon should be, mm -hmm. you know, and the choice of the name is also really interesting because it is you know an old kind of ruin, uh, you know, a Phoenician. Uh, sort of, you know, civilizational commentary on that, you know, on the presence of a civilizational, you know, uh, history in a, in a space, in a place like Lebanon, you know, or a, mm. space, a place like Beirut in this case, you know, and what it is right now, and it's a sort of stark contrast of now and then. And it is a very subtle kind of, she doesn't really elaborate on it, and it's just there. But, you know, it is something really that's, that's very poignant and comes through. And I think, you know, something like that, that has all these things packed into it, you know, from you know, from the drugs to, uh, you know, to the, the, the refugee crisis, to poverty, to, um, you know, misogyny, to all these different layers could quickly be relegated into the space of, you know, potential poverty porn, of, you know, of, of selling, uh, you know, sell, selling out. And a lot of filmmakers from the region tend to, you know, tend to be accused of that often when they make it into you know, the red carpet space, when they get certain kind of recognition that you have to acquiesce to a certain kind of view, uh, an often orientalist view, uh, you know, of, of your part of the world and, you know, kind of speaking to the usual suspects, you know, of what your country is supposed to look like and all its problems. But, you know, the sensitivity, the performance, the, I think, the meditation, uh, you know, that, that she spent and her team spent, you know, building the story and, and casting this character and, you know, and all these different things, you know, really kind of crumbles all of the, like a lot of that um, speculation, mm. whether it was, you know, whether it was thought out, thought through or not. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, speaking as a critic, that's kind of where I'm not really sure where I sit on this film. And it's something that I talked about with Nadine herself, because I think that, 
yeah, this is a piece of societal commentary. This is a very political film. She herself is politically active. She herself thinks that this film should be, you know, a call to arms, so to speak, mm -hmm. in terms of raising awareness of these issues and actually, you know, act, making change happen. And I, I, I go back and forth over whether or not I feel like this film is really getting at the, the roots of the problems or whether or not it has to. So, for example, for me, there's one line that I think stuck with me and struck me most strongly in this film is that um, Zane's parents, at one point when they're describing their situation to Zane, when he finally comes back to them, trying to himself become a, you know, pretend that he's a Syrian refugee, mm -hmm. um, the character, so that he can, you know, just get out of Lebanon and live a different life. Mm -hmm. He goes back, he tries to get documentation, and he, the father says, you know, we are parasites, we are not a real part of society. And when you have a poor person calling himself a parasite, um, that really bothers me. I'm not sure that, uh, I mean, just personally, I don't know if that's, you know, what a person, a, a poor person should be depicted as calling themselves, because I feel like that might just perpetuate the idea that that is the case um, for people and might not, you know, call the same sort of change that you're asking for. Um, you know what I mean? Yeah, but the thing that kind of left me a little bit more, you know, forgiving of, of their portrayal is that she didn't really paint a, a very clear picture of their own story. You know, you, mm. you get that they're Lebanese and uh, they're supposed to be Lebanese, you know, and, and you know, they don't really understand even whether you can't, you know, you can't really decipher whether they're, you know, a particular sect or where they're from or, you know, what their, you know, the religion component is sort of erased or made ambiguous or rendered ambiguous. You could kind of guess, you know, mm. but it's not really like a main thing. And, um, you know, and it is, and at some point he says, you know, he says, I don't know why we came here, mm. the father, you know, and that's kind of, you know, it leaves me wondering whether, you know, they were, they were Palestinian, uh, you know, refugees or, you know, or they were Palestinian Lebanese citizens who, you know, were in the situation, like, and so it adds another layer to, to their, to their situation. Mm. And, you know, and, and, and the, the, the extension of the trial part, you know, the trial scene where he is talking about, you know, his own, you know, sort of societal expectations, you know, his own, you know, bad decisions and his own sort of, you know, uh, his own his own failings as a person, you know, left that sort of parasitic kind of uh, comment a little bit more, um, I think, like, cushioned, you know, by this person sort of really being incredibly self-deprecating and being hopeless, being, you know, being sort of a being a non non person it didn't carry as much you know sort of of that of that sort of uh, need for you know integrity the mother doesn't take necessarily the same kind of stance she doesn't call herself a parasite she doesn't you know question her own decisions even when she announces that she's having another child mm. which leads him to sue to sue the parents um, you know, she doesn't apologize, you know, for who she is. She doesn't apologize for her situation. She doesn't apologize even for the decision of, you know, marrying off the, the sister. Mm. Whereas the father is a little bit more of that, you know, sort of, you know, broken Arab man, you know, that she's injecting into it. And I think that, you know, going back to the, to, to the discussion around sort of what it's supposed to do, what this film is supposed to do, and I think, I think there's a challenge with, you know, with Arab film in general, you know, of having to carry the, the sort of the burden, you know, of a lot of, you know, commentary of being the Arab woman, of actually getting that one chance, you know, the one opportunity to tell all these different stories that maybe, you know, there is a sense of, of, of you know, of responsibility or pressure or need or urgency, because, you know, if you're going to make your next film in four years, it becomes really hard to four to eight years or whatever, you know, her next, her next thing is going to be. 
it becomes really hard to edit you mm. know what it is that you're going to put out there because there are so many pressing issues so it is a very dangerous line to walk you know because you know you wanted to do something simpler and especially because her previous film did a lot with with little you know, and the simplicity of it is what carried through the, the sort of the voice. Um, you know, this this is just like layer upon layer of of, of you know of, of of dirt and you know and and questioning and you know and torture and trauma and you know and beauty and sensitivity and you know and a lot of different you know complex human emotion that is hard to boil down, is hard to simplify. So I did have a little bit more, I guess, empathy, you know, for the, for the muchness. Mm. I mean, I think on the subject of empathy, it is, you know, a very empathetic film. I, I think that that's really what it does best is make you, obviously, I think the realism is part of that, but it does make you feel real emotions for these people. It makes you connect with them. And I feel like that's kind of where the film works best. I, I've also been debating myself over just making it work as a film if it would be more impactful if they just cut the whole trial completely and mm. we just follow these characters in a linear fashion. If we got, because I, you know, having spoken to her, I know that she, all the backstory um, of the, the young Ethiopian woman, whose name is escaping me at the moment, is there. She filmed it. Um, whether or not that would be more, you know, if we could just live with these people and didn't deal with this young boy f trying to find a, a cause in the world that is something that he can grapple with, that be it his parents, not society itself, would be more impactful, or if that would get her point across more, if, if that hook is just so necessary, and not only bringing people into the theater and selling the film in like a high concept way, but also just keeping that frame and telling people, okay, here's how I want you to think about this. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm not really sure if I have the right answer there. Yeah, I mean, you know, I definitely, do, I definitely think that that part, that confrontation, mm -hmm. was necessary for you know for it to come to fruition. Whether it needed to be in the trial room, whether it needed to be in court, you know, and having that judge and having that sort of the, the formalism of the the formality, I mean, of the of the of the space, you know, and and the process and actually him following through with the promise to sue his parents. You know, comes you know comes into that setting. I think that could have happened. It does happen a little bit with you know with the with the confrontation uh, scene where he goes into um, into the house looking for his papers and they have this whole kind of you know scuffle. Um, and you know and and it does it is very necessary for the film in understanding the psych the psychology of you know of the father and the mother and their position and their and even Zane's kind of you know Zane's. Um, real like it boils down his real intent from this lawsuit um i wasn't particularly convinced of of you know of the necessity of using that as a tool mm -hmm. it makes for a great synopsis and i mean that's sort of what what sold the film throughout like even on the you know during the Cannes film festival like that was just the three lines you know from the dialogue that was used as the marketing tool to to you know to uh, to sell the film you know i don't know if you needed to even have that lawsuit component you know to really achieve that that sort of that that confrontation that that enough is enough that sort of coming to you know coming uh, coming to a to a loggerheads you know and I think yeah I, 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 I kind of agree with you about that being a little bit too literal mm. um, but it doesn't take away from the film I mean I think that just the scene that he's just so I think he's just so magnetic and so I think he carries a lot of you know his own 
you know, throughout the film. He reminded me a little bit of, you know, of the characters in, Asra, in Bahman Ghabadi's films, you know, non-child actors, mm. non-actor non children, you know, that are very much sort of the, the, the essence, you know, of what the story is supposed to be. Like you can, they say a lot more with just their silence than they do with the dialogue, you know, and he, you know, he's still a fighter. He's still, yes, he is, you know, he's a downtrodden kind of, you know, um, you know, street rat essentially that really finds his way through mm. um, and battles with his own ethics. And I do like that he, you know, he has his own kind of ethical dilemma, uh, you know, at a lot of junctures and takes not necessarily the expected route, um, which adds a lot more like complexity. But without his, without his kind of, you know, ability to 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 say without saying and like you know and have and looking the way he does and you know and sort of and his age. This ambi the ambiguity of his age also adds a lot of, um, yeah, a lot of sensitivity to the film that couldn't have otherwise come through, maybe. Yeah, I think the characters and the performances and the actors themselves, every single one, although, it, I mean, it might kind of essentialize, you know, the, the experience, I think each one is incredibly impactful and they stick with you, even down to this, this young girl who plays this young boy baby. Mm -hmm. um, the character of Jonas is like, He's the coolest kid. <laughs> I mean, Jonas is incredible, and yeah. Jonas, or she is, yeah. yeah. I, I, we just we were just talking about this. You know, I, I just I didn't know that it was a girl uh, playing this this boy, the son of uh, of the Ethiopian uh, woman who is in hiding essentially. Um, and he, I think, he does a better job at like kind of whether it's you know it's conscious or not on the part of the of the director, you know, the creator um, to to give him in that in this in, in this role um, you know a lot more agency but uh, I did feel like the woman and the mother character is sort of still cast in this sort of shadow mm. of you know yes it is I mean you know the, the state of you know domestic workers or in this case she was a waitress I think at a, at a, at a shop and she had run away from her uh, from from her um, uh, her employer uh, because of because she fell in love with the with the doorman who was already married and it's this whole like backstory, but you know you kind of she does exactly what you expect her to do you know she's hustling she's trying to make a better you know life for her child and she's trying to find and there's this kind of almost like angelic you know essentialist view of the other mm. and I think it's interesting to see that play out also in an Arab film because the Arab film is in itself a representation of the other so having an other in the other storyline is is also i think telling of a different kind of dynamic um that you know that i felt could have been a little bit more empowered mm. you know she could have been a little bit more complex you know she was just the sort of accessory to a larger like lebanese story yeah and even know? Jonas himself feels kind of like a feature length version of the like the eisensteinian kid going down the stairs like just we're watching him fall and we're just like oh no and yeah. I, that, like it, it works because I, I think that's like the same reason it worked for Eisenstein a hundred years ago like it just boils it down to like the basic ways to make us care about what's going on in a movie yeah yeah but I mean he yeah and, and I mean he's he's what he's, he's supposed to be like eight, two years old or something yeah. and you know he doesn't really have a lot of like possible agency or a lot of like range you mm. know of, of, of taking things into his own you know he does he's just he's just there you know and he's uh it, it, it's more to serve like zane's you know personal just i mean there's personality too like you get a sense of a relationship yeah 
it's not just like and what he's willing to do right like what yeah. he's willing to do for this child and how much he's you know willing to go and you know the the famous like the, the the sort of the the main image that's kind of that's doing the rounds right now the manufactured sort of you know rep reproduction of the film is is the image of them you know walking away and him dragging him in a, a makeshift sort of trolley mm -hmm. you know and and the mom is is what i you know is is where you know i feel like could have been uh, an opportunity for a real sense of also like, you know, this is going to be a bit of a of a of a of a of a hypothesis that I'm putting out for the first time, but you know, something about the alignment of you know of 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 women of color, you know, mm -hmm. that an opportunity for, you know, the the presentation of a, the story of a, you know not just a you know, oh, poor, you know, uh, poor domestic worker, you know, uh, sort of hero, heroine that we expect to, you know, to, to try and do good. Mm. You know, there, there's, there could have been an opportunity to really draw a complex, you know, empathetic, also, you know, devious, you know, gray, layered character, you know, in this storyline that really would have shown a certain degree of nuance that possibly could have even you know, um, leveraged the the lever revolutionary aspect of the film. Like it is, it is something that really could have served for a bigger kind of political commentary that would have taken it outside of just an Arab film space. Mm. You know, and, and and into the world of you know post-colonial. Although that problem is you know still in in the works. You know. Yeah commentary and production, you know, and, and elev elevated it outside of great films from Lebanon, great films from the Arab world, and just a great film that does a lot more for, you know, commentary on the state of the world right now. Mm. Yeah, I wonder if, like, that film is even there. Like, maybe she can go back and just edit this story and yes. make it that and not center it around just Zane. You know, cut out Zane's story and make it, you know, a separate film just about this. Because I think, like, the, the way the film tackles the, you know, the responsibility of motherhood, mm -hmm. I think it leaves a lot of different possibilities for interpretations and I've seen some people interpret it in a very negative way that it portrays the responsibilities of motherhood and like the illness that it puts on mothers in order to like it's it, like this situation is in that in some way their fault mm -hmm. because they continue having these sorts of children I wonder if that would still be that film had it been edited differently like or if that's just an inherent part of the way this film sees things yeah, I mean, uh, there's definitely like the, there's the father, the father character in the Zane line of the story mm. is definitely something that you know that that is that is thrown in there. You know, packs a very powerful punch in terms of what is expected of you know of a Lebanese man. You know, he does a whole he he delivers a whole like monologue in the court scene where he, he talks about you know what he was supposed to do and he didn't know and they told him you know they told me to have kids and you know and this was my role in this world and now here I am and I'm just doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And I think there is a there is a very strong perspective of not just motherhood and a certain interpretation of what motherhood is supposed to be, but also you know womanhood and woman and and sort of the women's uh, you know involvement or you know or or even expectation you know of 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 this of the father character as an accessory you know mm. to 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 the con continuation of, of of life or you know or societal like standards you know and and I think that the Ethiopian kind of character going back to I need to know her name. Um, Let's look it up. It's yeah. I mean, you know, it's it's just a. It's a shame because you know the kind of complexity that is afforded to be Zane's mom. Rahil, or Tijest, Rahil. Tijest in the film. Well, yeah, she's, that's she the goes character's by both. name. Tijest and Rahil. 
depending on the time, because one is a pseudonym that she uses. Right. Yes. Yeah. 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 And the whole time, it's you know, it's it's this, it's this you know, black woman that's being oppressed by you know the Lebanese community, mm. you know, or a Lebanese system, per se. And I think you know, there's a lot more to that story. That a lot more, you know, a lot more. I think like depth that she injects into a lot of other characters that sort of is, I think, reluctant mm. when dealing. And I, maybe it's an understandable reluctance because maybe you know there is a sense of of hesitation in being able. To being able to be the voice of a character like that, but I think that could have been resolved in other ways, you know, yeah. and other sorts of you know developmental, uh, you know, work that that could have gone into it. But that would have been that that would have I think added to its 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 historical significance, you know, not just as a feat of the Lebanese, the first you know Arab film to make it to so and so and so and so. And the thing that bugs me about this film, mm. right, is the is not just is not the besides the storyline, it's is the is the sort of the the, the pride in the reception, in a very specific type of reception. And I think you know, that, that comes from my frustration as an exhibitor, or as somebody that's interested in you know, what's coming out, what are we saying about ourselves, you know, what are we putting on screen, what are we watching, what are we you know, creating in this part of the world. And you know, this kind of insistence or dependence or interest as a result of a certain kind of you know, like Western approval system. You know mm. that the fact that we got all these awards, and not to, you know, and I have different opinions about all the different awards, you know, but the fact that that was the reason, that was the the stamp of approval that need that you know that a film needed to be able to come back home mm. is this sort of endemic of this obsession we have with that tends to happen with with uh, with uh, like reverse you know cultural import, you know, it's this like. Reversal of like you know sort of exporting something it's like the Rami Malik kind of um, yeah. uh, phenomenon you know somebody that made it our own made it somewhere else and they said he was great so now you know we think he's great too the the Mo Salah you know and and Kafanahom is sort of an extension of that and I think it is an opportunity to to revisit you know our own standards also of what we think is great and uh, and that's why I circled back to you know Yomeddin and I think the importance of Yomeddin being a contender. You know, for the Palm d'Or wasn't given its weight. You know, it mm. was on the same level essentially. Uh, you know, in the sort of in the in the, in the Cannes sphere and the you know the set the set of criteria and type of stories that could be there. And it's an entirely different story, entirely different way of treating characters. It's a much simpler story, and there's, you know, it's it's a it's lot so less. Powerful, it's incredible. I mean, it yeah. is, and it, it is it is another film that you do. You go in there with a lot of hesitation, a lot of kind of uh, on, on my part. I, you know, I went in there with a lot of skepticism. You know, of what, whether the, I mean, it's a leper. You know, who goes a Christian leper in Egypt, in predominantly Muslim, you know, Egypt, that goes on a road trip, you know, with his donkey and his, you know, his Nubian orphan friend, you know, to find his family, mm. his long lost family. I mean, that's like, you know, poverty porn symptoms right there, right? Yeah. But then you go in there, and the way that the simplicity of the story to, you know, the different, he does tackle a lot of issues as well throughout their road trip, you know, but the, the humor, the agency, the kind of the, the, the real like empowerment of the, of the character, you know, is also an unprofessional actor, you know, really brings that through. And, you know, it, it is a little bit disheartening to see that a film like that, you know, as powerful as it was, didn't necessarily get the same kind of, you know, support and, and, and recognition just because, you know, there is still this cult of like dependence on the Oprah, you know, seal of approval. Yeah, and then, like that's what I think it's so important to talk about. You know how she's been able to develop because she's always 
like yes she is of the region but she is also like like she's one of can's own like they mm -hmm. helped build her so i think that they're always gonna feel that sort of connection to her and support her films and i think then that kind of extends over to hollywood and oprah's able to take her and say this is you know our two the oscars are able to say like this is our filmmaker too and give them back um and i think that really matters and i think that really you know helps the film get that sort of audience that another sort of film that is like an other it's like an outsider sort of film is never going to get the same sort of reception because they're not able to say like okay we didn't help build this ourselves we don't really have that sort of agency here so we're just appreciating something separate yeah and, you know what i mean yeah but i think i mean that that creates i mean from a funding point of view there that's one this one, one sort of one one process that you know that that will always create a circle of dependence uh but you know but even the recognition sort of the dependency on the recognition is always going to Create a certain need or a pressing, you know, question in the, you know, in the work of a lot of filmmakers. Uh, or in a, there's there's always going to be a juncture, you know, of of a certain type of, you know, editorial decision you're going to have to make or creative decision on whether or not this is going to get the attention of, you know, of all of the of the players of the sort of of the uh, of the canon, you know, mm -hmm. and and the established canon. That's now I think you know slowly shifting. There's a lot of conversations around questioning, you know, how um, you know film and representation you know come into play, and you know putting putting in place a lot of checks and balances and trying to diversify you know juries and so on, and you know and also with Netflix, I think that sort of you know question of you know, where the industry is going you know and what becomes standard and so on i think th there's a lot of disruption happening in a lot of different layers but i think you know it's still it's still at, as it stands right now it still creates this cult of dependence you know yeah. on on a certain type of approval and a certain kind of standard and a certain type of story that you're supposed to tell and what is expected of you you know and even if it's unexpected there's a certain layer of expectation mm. so you know without that burden, you know, I think it could be magical to see what, you know, our stories would be for, you know, for their own merit and their own sort of space. And I think that is the tragedy of the absence of a lot of the you know, festivals here, you know, in this part of the world and the funding structures that were put in place with them, you mm. know, the Sanad Fund, the, I mean, DFI is still funding. Um, you know, even the minuscule funds that came with the Injaz uh, fund, you know, the Dubai Film Festival, all of these different things, you know, helped still allow for, you know, Arab films to not just depend on funding structures, you know, and, 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 and co-productions that require a certain kind of editorial input or involvement or, you know, or, or say, you know, mm -hmm. from uh, mostly European structures. And I think that's, that is a challenge that is, that still creates a certain type of you know, necessity for a certain type of film. Yeah. yeah, and I think the gatekeepers like being gatekeepers. They want to stay gatekeepers. Mm -hmm. I think that's part of the reason you see Cannes pushes back so much to Netflix, or Spielberg pushes back so much to Netflix. While simultaneously, he's a person who loves this film and embraced this film. I think that he likes to be able to embrace a film and say, like, I stamp approval on this. Now you all can like it. Like, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's like, yeah, you do need, it is helpful when a film like this is able to reach that sort of audience, but also it's so frustrating when you don't think that that should even be a factor. Funny enough, I mean, like, even though the film did 
you know, did get a lot of support in the U.S. I mean, it it skipped the. I mean, that's why it took us so long to get the film yep. here, you know, because, you know, it did its Lebanese uh, release and you know and and went on to uh, to qualify for the Oscars and you know and went award after award and sort of neglected, uh, you know, the regional uh, circuit. Uh, understandably, I mean, I guess it's exciting if you're gonna do you know a big U.S. tour. That's what was that, that's the time spent uh, on that and. You know, it didn't do as well admissions-wise. You know, in in, the, in its entire U.S. release. You know, so it's, it's you know, it just it it's. I'm I'm wondering like what how it's going to perform here. You know, in its in its UAE release and its GCC release because, um, you know, whether that's that that push of just the, the just the the hype. You know, mm. that didn't necessarily translate into box office numbers in the U.S. Will, you know, help it perform better. Uh, you know, in this part of the world or not. There's one film that I've been thinking about a lot in relation to Café in the Home, and maybe this is crazy, maybe you'll understand where I'm going, but Slumdog Millionaire, mm -hmm. I think, as a film, which is also a film that tried to, you know, center the, the experience of being extremely poor in um, the poorest areas outside of Mumbai, mm -hmm. um, which is also a film that got this insane response in the West. It obviously was a Western filmmaker yes. who made it, and I think that which is key. 100% key, yeah. but not, it's not just that that makes it so successful. It does a lot of the same things that this film does in that it kind of thinks about poverty as this just thing that exists. It doesn't really look at the, you know, the societal structures of how that happens. It doesn't look at how, for example, in India, how the poorest areas are exploited in order to create wealth for the wealthy. Mm -hmm. um, this film doesn't really do that either. It just kind of zooms into this. Um, and I feel like the big difference in terms of box office and universal appraisal is the fact that that's also a film that offers a way out of that situation in this fantasy way of like, here's wealth as this thing that exists in the sky and here's one kid who reached up and grabbed some. Right. Isn't that happy? Yeah. It doesn't help it in this, this situation. No one else has helped. Society's not improved. But one guy grabs some gold out of the sky. So isn't that wonderful? Um, and this film is also a film that, to its credit, makes you feel that pain and makes you feel that you know this is a situation in which these people are stuck and things aren't getting better yes you have to yes. do something there's no savior i mean it. that's yeah. the that's the, the i mean there's a lot of different sort of distinctions in terms of the like the, the, the sort of dealing with poverty mm -hmm. as a sort of as a as a character mm -hmm. even as a setting uh but definitely the fact that like you simmer you know in that state and there's no you're kind of like you're you know it's 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 an atrophied you know state of being and that's that's where the film ends you know yeah. there isn't the sense of you know of glory there isn't the sense of being rescued even by a you know external tool like there's a film that just came out called gully boy you know which mm -hmm. is sort of the answer to slumdog i don't know if you saw it yet, I haven't seen it yet no. oh you got to go see it because it's like kind of it does a lot of it actually takes a few jobs at slumdog millionaire so it's still and using yeah yeah and i mean i think they have like it's taken its beating across the years and it has created a new sort of woke voice uh you know in um, you know, in, in sort of in the borderline sort of mainstream, but still independent, you know, space that Gully Boy now occupies with Ranbir Kapoor. I mean, he had it. He was it was a can, uh, not a can. It was a Berlin uh, mm -hmm. in February, you know. And it is interesting that's kind of that they're they are conscious of these sort of tools of these sort of uh, these methods of using these spaces as you know as as seductive settings, you know, of the downtrodden other. Um, you know, but when when it is a you know it's it's a it's a Zoya Akhtar you know the, the the director you know who is of that space and who's able to still speak the language and understand sort of the frustrations you know th that uh, 
that you know either the actors, the filmmakers, the musicians, because it is about hip hop. It's still essentially using a tool, you know, that is uh, that is relatively like I think niche, mm -hmm. you know, in in that space as a rescuing kind of outlet mm -hmm. of frustration, and that has been employed a lot in Arab cinema as well. You know, you, the use of hip hop and sort of the zoom on hip hop and the interest of sort of festivals and the international circuit in hip hop as this phenomenon that's taking over mm. the brown world, you know, and um, and that in itself is, you know, is a is a, is a curious sort of perspective um, that it is the tool of the downtrodden um, across the board, you know, mm. even when it's not indigenous. Uh, but, you know, it is interesting to see Gully Boy come out of that, you know, sort of what, 10 year now trajectory of, uh, of Slumdog Millionaire and do something that is critical of it, that it's you know, of its own. Yeah. Um, you know, I wonder how that's going to play out with a film like, you know, that like Kafanahom and the likes of Yomeddin that are looking at these, you know, conditions post, I think also post Arab Spring, you yeah. know, and when the dust has settled and the trash has, you know, has piled up and, you know, the diseases have festered, you know, where are we going? Yeah. And, you know, what are we going to do with the filmmakers that exploit that? Because there has been a response to the Arab Spring exploitation. Then there's the wave of introspection. And then now there's the wave of, you know, of larger snapshot, mm. you know, uh, sort of explainer almost uh, films, you know, that, that are trying to say a lot about a lot. Like, I mean, what's his name's film? Nabil Ayush's Ghazia. You know, that also tried to, to, to give you, a, you know, a big, uh, you know, like set of Polaroid, you know, collages of Morocco's, you know, all of Morocco's societal, you know, problems as you would expect them and present them at the UN, you mm. know? So I think there's a lot of these, like taking, you know, carrying the mantle. Yeah. And I wonder what the pushback material or, or films are going to look like and whether they're going to even have space because I know they're being created, you know, and I know the conversations are happening, you know, and you hear the, the pushback against films that make it, you know, and they are resistance, they are challenging films, but they will never see the light of day in, you know, sort of larger distribution circuits beyond, maybe they'll get a window at movie, you know, but that's pretty much it in yeah. terms of interest levels, so. Yeah, I mean, uh, and there's another thing that, I think with this with this film in particular, you wonder what the response is going to be, because I, I think one of the things when you do when you zoom in on the issue, but you make it seem hopeless, and the characters themselves are hopeless, and there's no specific avenues that are presented as potential solutions to the issue, because there's no specific issue that's pointed to as the actual problem or the you know the, the causation behind all of this. Is you kind of get this Tennessee Coates problem. Um, mm -hmm. that, and one of the, crit the criticisms of the way that he presents racism is that it's like, well, it's just always there. It's not created by anything. It's just this thing that exists, and we're always going to deal with it. Sorry. And it's this kind of nihilism that mm -hmm. comes with it. And I think that it's hard to do a political film that's also nihilist because nihilism is so easily shrugged off. Because what else are you going to do with nihilism? You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I don't know if... I'm mean, going to be really interesting to see if you know Arab film is able to tackle that or if there's if Nadine is someone who's going to herself tackle with that, because I know that she's also feels like she can't step away from this issue now. She can't just move on to the next thing. I don't know about that. You know, I, I do think that Nadine has been very good at like shifting gears, you know, and, and really sticking to her editorial voice and her editorial, because she is an artist that has 
kind of, you know, that stuck with her guns. I mean, you know, she didn't have to take this route. She would have still been a very successful filmmaker if she mm. made film after film that looked like like Cam Caramel. She could have been that person, you know, but she did, you know, she did change her voice and she did try to, you know, do a lot of different things. And now, you know, she she is being offered, I think, like left, right and center, you know, opportunities to make things. And whether it's, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be a Netflix, you know, series from this part of the world because they're now trying, they're they're really interested, or it's going to be a large, like a sort of a Asghar Farhadi makes, you know, the Penelope Cruz, the you know everybody know everybody knows type mm. film, you know, which is in itself like a new sort of emergent category of you know of of like Pablo Larin making Jackie and you know and. Um, and what's her name? Um, Anna Lilia Merpour making the Bad Batch. You know, is she going to be the next sort of other voice in you know in um, in a non-native sort of setting? You know, um, yeah. Is she? Is it? Or is she always going to want to represent the sort of the indigenous? Well, it's yeah. hard because you can lose a part of yourself, and you, like you can you can keep it, and you know have a different facet to your own voice, like like with Jackie, or you can kind of like be like Hani Abu Asad and just make this film that just feels it's like a non-film yeah. <laughs> yeah like where'd you go bro like this isn't <laughs> i mean even farhadi's film you know and i love farhadi's work i mean yeah. throughout it's just like it just you know it's literally like watching an iranian film with like you know with you know with with I mean, a farhadi film but with spanish characters it doesn't really like that like gets almost like a dubbing mm. you know situation and yeah it's just i don't know if you saw you saw I it, haven't yet. Seen it yeah no. it's just it's a very strange it can be a very strange sort of forced uh, I mean, it's it's a good, it's a good, I think, like clash, you know, and and almost like fusion. But you know, it's still at that very early, like nascent stages of resolving fusion and what that looks like. Is it enough to just bring in a, you know, another a directorial voice into a space that is, you know, that is entirely removed from their context, mm. and you know, and see what happens if there's magic, you know, or yeah. um, you know, is it, uh, is it always going to be this sort of this non gelling because it's forced because it's meditative and i think like what's interesting about nadine is that at the end of the day she is you know she is you know it's it, it's still she's you know her her most powerful sort of asset is her voice and her brand and the nadine kind of you know the nadine brand nadine you know in a way and i think and everything that she stands for and everything that she represents and everything she's been able to do you know and also that awareness of the the challenges and the ugliness of the commercial world, you mm. know, and I think that that creates, you know, that creates a big, you know, sort of level of expectation that I hope, and I'm, up, I'm kind of, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic that she would be a little bit more, um, I think, unpredictable, you know, and I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I mean, we're gonna see, right? Yeah. It's like. I mean, really some of the coolest depends. films in history, like, are filmmakers who came from another lens, and we were able to just move that to, you know, Hollywood and make something completely fascinating and change Hollywood as we know it. Yeah. Like Billy Wilder, Fritz Lang. I mean, even, like... I mean, Kira Stami, even. Yeah, Kira Stami. Like, there's so many different filmmakers who've been able to go to somewhere else. Um, like, even the Three Colors trilogy, like, mm -hmm. just takes, you know, the sort of, you know, Polish new wave and moves it just a, a bit over west and does something completely fascinating with it yeah but i think it's a, it's a it's a question of whether you know the filmmaker like gets involved like out of you know out of sort of choice and agency curiosity or you know or now in this optioning kind of uh 
machine, you know, yeah. and I think that's where you end up with these sort of awkward, you know, encounters, um, you know, in the case of uh, Anna Julie's film or, you know, or the dozen other examples. So, you know, it would be exciting to see if Nadine would pick up a Netflix film or a Netflix yeah. series even, you know, to see what happens with that. And well, we spoke about that a bit. Like, I did talk to her. Okay. And maybe we'll leave that to yeah. the listener to find out what she says. But I think that, I think she's not just, you know, champing at the bit to take any opportunity. Mm-hmm. Like, I think she's very, very conscious that she doesn't need it. Yeah. She can just do her thing. And that's the thing. I mean, that's that's why I have a lot of faith, you know, in, in her in, in her friend, Nadine, you know, in sort of what she's been able to insist on. I mean, there is a certain kind of perseverance that you need, you know, and a tenacity and a sort of a, you know, a stubbornness on your, you know, voice, whatever it may be, you know, to continue to make films in this sphere. It's not like she's, you know, been you know, been, been killing it at the box office film after film. You know, yes, she is the darling, and yes, she's gotten recognition, and yes, she's held it with a lot of grace, but it's not a very, like, it's not a very, you know, uh, thankful uh, industry or even space to, to occupy, mm. you know, over the years. And well, I mean, you know, now it's a big chunk of her career, too. Caramel and Helen Lewin were both, like, financially successful. So yeah, they were, but then, I mean, they, they were, they're also, like, far and far in between, right? They weren't yeah. enough to sustain an entire sort of, you know, career, and she could have jumped at a lot of other opportunities, I think, if she wanted to, and I'm sure they came her way, you know, but, um, you know, there is a certain kind of insistence on a particular voice that makes somebody jump ship, you know, Mm. into the world of independence, and, you know, and even, I mean, even Khalid's, this is his his first, like, you know, uh, production debut Mm. as a producer, and they set up, you know, Moo's production to make this film, so, you know, what is going to come out of that? I mean, that's a lot, that's a whole other, you know, world, and, and a certain degree of also ownership and power, you know, that maybe, you know, allows them to do a lot more, you know, with, with this experience. And I, you know, I'm, I'm definitely going to be watching. I'm curious. And I'm, 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 I have, I have my faith, you know, she's somebody that's carried the, the, the sort of the space for, you know, Arab women filmmakers and women filmmakers at large, you know, for a long, long time. And I think that now, you know, it's sort of come to its, uh, to its glory and to its, you know, to its spotlight, and mm. um, doesn't strike me as, you know, as as particularly blinding to her. All right, so we'll leave it there because we can obviously go on and talk about every other issue, but mm-hmm. we'll ju- yeah, we'll cut it off. So thank you so much, Mateo, for your time. It's been a Blake Crozier. great pleasure speaking with you. What did I say the first time? Was it even words? I don't even know. But yeah, so without further ado, we'll hear from my conversation with Nadine Labaki. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah. your last two sen- two words didn't make any sense. I don't know if my entire interview made any sense. That's totally fine. first version of the film when we assembled uh, all everything we've shot and all the scenes we've shot was a 12-hour film mm. so you can imagine from going from 12 hours to two hours how many things we've we've you know taken out the things the sacrifices we had to make so there's a, still a lot in the film that you haven't seen there's Rino Rahil's story before meeting Zane her struggle with her baby 
In the film, you just see one part of this struggle, and you imagine what happened before, but what happened before is actually filmed. Uh, so there's a lot, you know, uh, also lots of scenes between Zayn and Jonas uh, that are not there. It's, there's, you know, many, many aspects. But sometimes you feel like, and even, I don't have enough distance from what I shot to be able to tell you I'm satisfied or I took the right decisions or there's nothing more I can do or the film is at is its full potential. It's not, I think. I think there's so much more uh, to dig in, and, uh, and and that's why it's difficult to just, you know, decide that you know I'm, I've turned the page and now I can move on. It's difficult to move on. It's difficult to turn the page and let go of everything that we. It's it's a life changing journey. It's whether we turn it into a different format, whether what do we do with the rest of the footage, uh, and I'm exploring that. Uh, there's so much more uh, that I feel I, I need to explore. And, and, and what I'm lacking now, unfortunately, is the distance. You know, some, I, I wish I can take I, a, a year off and just go back to it after one year and just watch it and see. Because, you know, it's, you're so much you're into it, in it, it's impossible, you know. Uh, I went through very crazy phases when I was doing the, the, the editing. I even did hypnosis. Mm. Uh, I, I, I called a friend once and asked her, you know, can you, she does, a, can you make me forget everything about the film as if I'm watching it for the first time? Because this is what we lack as filmmakers is discover a film like any other viewer who is watching the film for the first time. And of course, she you know she told me you're crazy. I can't make you forget everything. I told her just two hours. I just want to watch it as if I'm discovering it. And uh, you know, I tried so many different things in order to see it from a different perspective. But it's it's time. You need time uh, to be able to judge what you've done, to be able to be satisfied. I'm not. I I don't know actually if I'm happy or not with the editing. So the hypnosis didn't work? No, it didn't work. <laughs> it didn't work, unfortunately. Um, nothing works, nothing. You, it's impossible for me to watch this film and discover it like you do when you watch it for the first time and see what are the flaws because you see it, I don't. Mm. I even, I mean, the, the rhythm, even the rhythm of the dialogues are like music. I know the rhythm. So it's so much in my head, it's impossible. I know what's going to come next. I know how, how the, the, how the di dialogue sounds, what's the music of this dialogue. I know what's going to, you know, what is the, 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 the next phrase, the next word, the next scene, the next shot, uh, that it's impossible to discover. It's impossible. You don't have this distance, unfortunately. I wish there was a pill we can take just to make us forget everything. But it's like that. So I need time off. Well, how different is the end product from what you imagined it to be? Like, was it, how long was the script to get 12 hours of footage or were you just really making it up as you went? Was this like a constant creative process? Uh, crazy in enough, it's, it's very, very close to what was written. Mm. Um, even though there was, you know, the, you have to 
always, I think, have a very strong, solid base in order to be able to really improvise and, you know, be grounded and, 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 and stay, stay focused. Mm. Unless, otherwise, if you don't have this very... It was a strong base, the script, as a starting point and as a landing point. Mm. But in the meantime, if life gives you something else or if you improvise or if the actors take you somewhere else or if circumstances take you somewhere else because you know where you're going and you have a very solid script it's not scary to just explore so i was doing that the whole time knowing where it should lead me of course but not being afraid because we were shooting so close to reality sometimes it was impossible to stop life you know it would be crazy and it would be stupid to say, uh, no, uh, you know, we're not supposed to shoot this, so let's forget what's happening now and go back to what we're supposed to shoot. Mm. We were very free, and I had an amazing crew who followed me in every crazy thing that we were doing. So if life was taking us somewhere else while we're shooting a certain scene, we would forget what we were shooting and go with whatever... Uh, the circumstances were, were giving us and just go with it and see where it leads and navigate it you know towards the fiction that was written so it was always like that like it, so it is a game and and life kept giving us you know these gifts the whole time we had sometimes we were shooting scenes that were not a fiction anymore but it was written i mean it's 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 very it's it's very difficult to to um, to explain it because I think the script was so much based on reality because we did like f three years of research while we were writing the script, mm -hmm. we were going everywhere in Lebanon, speaking to children, going to the most unfortunate neighborhoods and places, going to prisons, to detention centers, to homes, to shelters. Uh, to those neighborhoods, talking to the children, to the parents, going to court, spending so much time in court. I spent the, the, the three years, hours, spending hours in court, just, just, just sitting there and watching whatever happens. And, and so everything that we wrote was so much uh, built on everything that we saw that when we were shooting, the film was becoming a reality. Like the Rahil, when we were shooting that scene where she got get arrested in the cyber cafe, mm. two days later, at three o'clock in the morning, we receive a phone call. She got arrested in real life mm. because she had the same problem. Rahil Jordanos, her name is Jordanos, was, was living in Lebanon illegally, no papers. She had run away from her employer like in the film. The only difference is that she didn't have a baby, mm. but she was leaving, uh, living illegally in the country. So in the meantime, of course, we had started working on the papers and all that, but it takes a very long time. So while we were working on that, she got arrested and she went through exactly the same thing that you see in the film. And not only that, the parents of Jonas, who is actually a girl in her real life, her name is Treasure, and she is exactly in the same situation. She is an illegal child living in Lebanon with no papers, undocumented, invisible. Nobody even, you know, the government doesn't know she exists even. 
So she was in that situation and her parents got arrested because they are also illegal with Rahil at the same time because they were together at some kind of um, gathering and they, there was a raid and they took everybody. So when we are shooting those scenes where Treasure is on her own with, uh, with Zayn yeah. without her mom, her mom, and, and her mom is supposedly arrested. Her mom was really arrested in real life. Mm. So it was the whole time you feel like you're capturing reality. reality. It's not anymore not. only a fiction. Yes, the lines are very blurred. And sometimes I was even ha having a hard time telling the story, confused in my head. I mean, what are we doing now? Are we shooting the film, the fiction that we had written? But this is exactly her situation in real life. So this gives you the impression or the feeling that, you know, there's something bigger, bigger than us happening. Uh, there was something, I don't know, there was something really pushing us to make this film, no matter what, with all those circumstances. We were shooting in very difficult circumstances, you know, in the slums, in those neighborhoods that, you know, people are not living. It's just unbearable conditions. The government is responding very well. You know, people keep saying we're very proud of this film. Uh, we're very proud of what this film has achieved. The fact that this film is, you know, has been nominated to all of those uh, different, uh, you know, prestigious competitions and all that. People are very, the government is very, of course, proud, but it's very schizophrenic. But proud of what? Do you see? I mean, look at what the film is saying also. So it's a very, I think, delicate and, and schizophrenic situation. And I need to take advantage of that, I think. And the fact that, you know, okay, this film has achieved something, so we can't hide behind our fingers and say, you know, this is not happening, this is really happening, this is our reality, and now we need to do something about it. And that's what we need to do. What we need to organize now, like Phoenix for the government, for the, you know, certain ministers, certain ministries, uh, and certain organizations that work on human rights and, you know, organize round tables, see what can we do, at least try. Maybe we're not going to, it's not going to lead anywhere or lobby against a few laws or, or to change a few laws, but will it lead anywhere? I don't know, but this is what we need to do. Can I just ask... Um how much do you feel that you've changed as a filmmaker from making Caramel to Halat Nawai? And um, in what ways do you feel that this film in particular has changed you in the way you're going to approach films in the future? It changed me completely. I mean, it changed me forever. I, I mean, I, I think I was maturing along the way. And this is something I've always dreamt of achieving, being that free ever since my first film. But of course, when you're making your first film, you don't know what you need as a filmmaker in order to achieve that your vision. You don't know, I didn't know that I needed time. I didn't know what were, I mean, it was my first film. I was experimenting, I was learning. I was learning how to lead a crew. I was learning how to hold the rhythm of a film that is not 30 seconds because I came from, you know, doing advertising. And it's an, an hour and a half. You just, you're learning. I've always dreamt of achieving what I've achieved now, but I didn't have the tools. I didn't know how to achieve it. Now I know. I mean, it's maturity. It's knowing what are your needs as a filmmaker. And now I know. Now I know what gives me wings, you know, to be able to just 
have those great performances and 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 go as far as I, I, I went. It changed me. I will not go back to normal ways of making films. I think this chaos that I have created while I was while I'm working is an is a chaos I like. It's a chaos I love. I mean I, I don't like working in a very structured structure. Mm. I don't I, I don't like to be framed in a certain way of making films. It doesn't have to be the way we're used to doing things. And I, 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 I was able to do it. Mm. Of course you need to have a crew that believes in you. That, you know, if you are supposed to shoot a scene and then you don't shoot it and go shoot someone else, something else, you don't have a crew that is go, going, you know, what's happening? Why are we not shooting the scene we're not supposed to shoot? Or No, you have a crew that believes in your vision and that just follows you in whatever crazy thing you're doing. And then it, it gives you wings and it, it really, it's very empowering actually. And I, I, I like working this way. It was chaos, but mm. it was organized chaos. Do you feel that subject matter-wise the same things interest you than they did you know, when you were making Caramel and Halloween? I don't know. You know, It depends on, 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 on the obsession of the moment. It mm. depends on the situation we are living in at the moment. It's, it has to come from a certain, yes, obsession, a certain theme that becomes a need, a need to talk about something. And this time it was a need to talk about children, mostly. It was, it was the igniting point of, of this whole journey. I just wanted to become, in a way, their voice because I, I felt, you know, they're paying the highest price for our faults and our decisions and our conflicts and wars, and we're dragging them like puppets in our, you know, stupid decisions and our disgusting nature, what we have become, mm. and they are paying the highest price. And I thought, I just want to be in their head. How do they see this world? How do they see us? How, what happens? What happens in the head of this child that is, you know, standing next to my car window, looking at me, not looking at him, mm. because this is what we do. We ignore them. We just because I think sometimes the situation is so hard. You feel you're so small. You can't do anything. You just keep going. You say, and what can I do? I can't do anything. And you don't know what to do, actually. Sometimes you're so lost in your values. Do I give him money? Do I help him? Or why am I helping him, not helping the thousand other children? Am I encouraging, um, uh, you know... Um, Mangry or Yes. Mendicity? Do you say Mendicity? I don't know. Uh, am I encouraging, you know, the mafia behind them? Mm. Sometimes we have these, mm. you know, conceptions. Am I encouraging? So, so you don't know how to react, so, so you don't look. How does it feel for him to be that invisible? Mm. And how does it feel to be in the place of Alan Kurdi, you know, the, 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 ch the child that died a few years ago on the shores in Turkey? Mm. I remember this picture was a big igniting point for me because I thought, you know, if this child could talk, what would he say? What, how would he address us? How, what, what, what would he say hmm. about this whole journey that he went through? So I wanted to ask about, obviously you've just been through this whole you know, Oscar process. You've gotten a response, I think, in America especially that you know, I think is you know, a big, I don't want to, not necessarily step, but it's a different experience. Yes. Um, 
and you've been able to you know interact with you know Oprah, you know so many different stars, obviously all the other people nominated. So what was what were the experiences that you took from that were most valuable to you? Um, you know when you when you hear those 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 people um, that uh, you know are my in a way my fellow uh, producers, actors, directors, people who are in the field, who are in the business, getting this kind of recognition. It just, um, I think, gives you more confidence. This mm. film was is a homemade film. It's a film that is coming from a small invisible dot on the map, which is Lebanon. And you grow up feeling nothing is possible. You grow up feeling we're too invisible for anyone to notice us. Mm. And then all of a sudden you're you're in you're in this place where, you know, all those people have done achieved so much and have been so much recognized for their work, whether it's Steven Spielberg or Glenn Close or or Oprah Winfrey or Barbara Streisand mm. or people who have achieved so much in their own career to recognize something that is so homemade on such a big level is a huge accomplishment. Accomplishment. This is a homemade film, really. It's a film that is coming from a place with no film industry. It's a film that started with no money, with no actors, with a crew that, was, that became my family. My cinematographer, my editor were living in this apartment where mm. we started this whole adventure. It's in the same building where I live. I live on the third floor. It's the first floor. It's coming from a place. We are not a big studio. We are not a big production house. It was a really homemade film. So for people on this level to recognize something that we were doing with nothing is a huge accomplishment. Mm. And it, it's a proof to me that anything is possible. This is a proof to me that really anything is possible because it doesn't, you don't need to make a film with lots of money. You don't need mm. to make a film the way everybody makes films because it was done in such a, such a different way, such a, um, you know, we shot for six months, we started with no money, uh, we worked with uh, people who have no experience in acting, we uh, did everything in-house, uh, pre-production, post-production, music. Uh, it took two years of editing, six months of shooting, no marks. Uh, you go on a film set, uh, you, are, you, you, you are free from any kind of um, uh, paralyzing, uh, uh, how do you say, paralyzing um, parameters. Mm. Uh, uh, and you give the actors the space to be who they are, for life to just uh, impose itself on us in a way. You don't li stop life from happening. It's not like you come with vans and stuff and you stop everything from, from happening and you stop people from talking and you block roads and you, and you become, you know, you, you become this, this um, it, it doesn't happen this way. It mm. didn't happen this way. And so it's a proof that it doesn't have to happen the way everybody's used to it happening. Mm. Uh, and it's a big achievement for people like Steven Spielberg. When Steven Spielberg just asks me, how did you do it? With so much amazement, I mean, it's a huge recognition. He's asking me, mm. <laughs> for somebody who has very little experience, 
It's only my third film. I come from a country with no film industry. Mm. I learned as I went. Uh, uh, to, for him to ask me this kind of question is a huge recognition. Mm. You know, asking me how the hell did you do this film? How did you do it? How did you make these kids perform so well? Mm. How did you take out of people who've never acted in their life these, these kinds of performances? It's a huge recognition. Mm. Yeah. I mean, in terms of where, like, if, for example, you were to make a movie in the West, obviously I'm not going to say you're going to, I know you're always, Lebanon's always going to be an important part, you're always going to want to make films in Lebanon, to assume, but obviously I'm, I'm projecting onto you, I assume, but sorry about that. <laughs> but, so if you are to, and eventually, I'm sure you're getting offers to you know, direct in the West. Yeah. If we look at, you know, incredibly talented filmmakers, you know, like Haifa, Harim Assad, like, when they make films in the West, they tend to lose a part of that identity that their films had here. I mean, they're still obviously great filmmakers, but their films never have the same power, you know, than the mm. ones that they made here. Is that something that you're conscious of? And, like, how do you want to approach a potential uh, filmmaking career in a market outside of your own? Of course, it's very tempting. And like you said, I've, I have many offers. I have many... For me, cinema or making a film has to be a need for me that it, it, this is the way i function mm. it should and if something comes up and i feel the need to say it and i'm reading the script and i'm saying i wish i wrote it mm. or i i would have written it the same way i will do it but it has to be a need i'm not going to do it just for the temptation mm. i'm not going to do it just for the hell of it just because i'm making a film in hollywood or with a big studio or with a big actor I mean, I'm not into that. I don't care. People ask me, who is your dream actor? With who do you dream of working? I don't have this dream. I don't have the dream of making a film in Hollywood. I don't have a dream of making a film with a big Hollywood star. I don't care about this system. Mm. I don't really care about... I don't want a film to be based on somebody else's stardom for it to have an impact or to be... I, I don't... I don't it's, I'm not into that. So for me, it has to be a need. If I feel the need to tell a certain story, then I will do it, and then I think the result is going to be as good and as passionate as my other films. I don't think, because it takes so much from your energy, and a film drains you. I am drained. I am changed physically and emotionally. I've grew. I've, I've become a different person not only psychologically, even physically. It's so, it takes so much from your life and your energy. It really has to be a need. Uh, so this is my, my, in a way, my reference or my standard. Mm. I'm not going to do it just for the temptation because it's tempting to make a film abroad or to work with a big Hollywood studio or to work with a big Hollywood actor. I'm not into that. It's not my, my, it's not my dream. Mm. Um, so this is going to be, this is the starting point for me. And then you always, in the back of your mind, you, don't, you shouldn't let go of this. You shouldn't let go of this value that you have in, inside of you that uh, whatever is going to happen next has to be, uh, in a way, has to have a certain impact. On society, I, mean, I truly believe that cinema can make a change, and when you feel, 
when you feel this and when you can't let go of this idea, you feel responsible. Whatever you will do next has to have some kind of social impact. I feel this mission. I feel that cinema can have this impact on other people's lives. And, and when, you know, when you, you know you have this responsibility, whatever you're going to do next or whatever project you're going to tackle next or subject or theme uh, uh, has to count. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can I ask just a, a lighter question? Yes. <laughs> Moving back into something. How, how do you plan to decompress after this whole experience? Are you going to travel? What, what do you do to reinvigorate yourself? I don't know what to do. To, to <laughs> I really don't know. It's difficult to let go. I don't think I will decompress ever. Mm. When, you've been, when you've been in such a life-changing experience and journey, you can't go back. You can't go back. I'm done. I'm, I'm doomed forever. I'm cursed by, by this experience because uh, when you've lived with those, with with those circumstances for such a long time, you know, we've researched it for three years. We we lived six months in those. We were living with them in the sewers practically. Mm. You know, we were surrounded by the haunt, haunting. A sound of children crying the whole time when we were shooting. It was part of our, it was part of the soundtrack in a way. It, it, it becomes like you don't notice it anymore. Uh, you hear children crying the whole day. And you hear children getting beaten up, neglected, left ho- alone at home. Every day we were hearing another story of a child who died of extreme neglect. A child who died because he jumped out the window or because he jumped out, I mean, he fell from the balcony or because he put his hand in the electrical uh, socket or because he put fire to the house because he was there alone or every day we were hearing those stories. So after living those circumstances for such a long time, you have a hard time going back to your life. And just being that the same person, uh, the, the other person, and you change forever. I mean, it's, it's very schizophrenic. Mm-hmm. Whatever I am now is very schizophrenic. Is it hard to go back to, to you know, the red carpet glam? Yes, clips? of course. You, don't, you can't enjoy it the same way anymore. You feel like there's this guilt feeling of, in the back of your mind the whole time. Do I have the right to live this? Do I have to be right to be happy? Do I have the right to enjoy my children, my family? Do I have the right to live a normal life? Do I have the right to uh, eat a, a, a normal meal? Do I have, you know, you have this guilt feeling. Do I have the right to wear these clothes? Do I have the right to put on makeup? Do I have the right to, you know, do, do I have the right to be a normal person who lives in the limelight in a way? Uh, it's very schizophrenic, but you have to, you have to. I think what 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 puts me at peace, if you if you want, with who I am now, is the fact that I need to use my voice. I need to use this uh, character that I have become, uh, or this person that I am, uh, in in the right way. I have to use it. I have to use this voice. I have to uh, help 
I think, in a way, become the platform for them to express themselves, or to, for them to express themselves through me. Uh, it's the only way to, I, I think, make peace. Uh, and, 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 and it's difficult to let go. You can't let go. You can't go back. You can't decompress. Where's the place on earth that you go to relax? Uh, now, for the time being, it's my home. It's my, just my family. But there's no relax. There's no, for the time being, I think I need to take a long vacation, of course, with my family, travel somewhere where we are completely disconnected from all this. But it's difficult to do it. It's difficult. For me, it's really, it's not really it's it's just being with my family is is a little bit of 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 peace if you want it's a little bit of going back to my life just being with my family wherever and it's my home for the, for the time being we haven't taken any vacation we haven't in su- in such a long time uh, it's really spending time with my with my kids and yeah mm. that's it <laughs> i want to talk about the um I think I mean, we were talking earlier about the schizophrenia and how weird it is to have like the government embrace something that's also like kind of an indictment of society. But watching this, like I'm putting on my film credit cat for a minute, the film I think is also it talks about the experiences here. But any sort of like people from you know the government, so like the the judge is very nice, you know, the lawyer played by you is very nice. Um, anyone that's a bit higher up is never really indicted in that way. It never really is about like how the system fails these people. So do you feel like, was that something that you're conscious of? Is that something you want to explore more in the future? Like, I don't agree with you because I think the failure of the system is in every shot, in yeah. every scene, in every... So you don't feel like it has to directly like say no, that it's No, you don't have to That's say. Like, yeah. I mean, you see how the system is failing in every minute of the film, yeah. in every second of the film. The fact that those children are left alone in this place, the f- fact that those slums exist, the fact that the end of the film, you know, we put Zane's file in those, all those for- forgotten files in the system mm. at the end of the film, the fact that, you know, I think, I think the authorities are not, uh, are just portrayed in a very just unhuman way, mm. N- uh, just um, uh, in a way, neutral way. Uh, when you're talking about the judge, when you're talking about the lawyer, or you're talking about about the authorities or the police, I mean, you have to understand that the police only acted in the film because of the phone call that he did to the media, mm. and it's only because of the pressure of public opinion and media that the police actually went and found Jonas. Let's say, for example. Mm. And it's it's all in those layers when when you know Kausar is saying Zane's um, mother is saying how can you judge me you've never been in my shoes what do you want me to do mm. she's saying you know it's a failing system that I am also a victim of mm. uh, it's it's there it's in every shot of the film the fact that Jonas is existing in a in a in a in a, in a place where nobody knows he exists is showing a failure of the system. He's an invisible child, unregistered, undocumented, Zane is undocumented. The fact that you have to pay money in order to declare your children is another failure of the system. So it's all there, but you don't have to say it so bluntly Mm. because, you know, you have to really... It's not like you have to say, where is the government in order to... 
it's there. It's the failure of this. It's, it's the, the fact that these children are on the streets, on in these these places, and nobody's looking at them. People keep walking past them in the field, and nobody looks at them. It's another failure of the system. Mm. So I don't agree with you that it's like. Um, but sometimes you have to say things subtly, to say things uh, subtly because it's cinema. It's you know, of you have course. To be, yeah. yeah, it's just, sorry, I know this is like just me, you know, being very like openly personal, but um, just like if you have a system that is able to embrace a film without seeing those things, does that bother you? Without seeing in what sense? They see it. They see it. So you feel of course like. they see it, but it's very schizophrenic. They see it, but they have, they have a very delicate position towards yeah. it. They have a very schizophrenic position towards it. They're very proud of what the film has achieved, but I'm sure they're not proud of what the film is saying. Mm. So, is it achieved on a on a on a, on, a, on a big level? The fact that you know Lebanese cinema is on the map is a big achievement uh, for everyone and for the government and all that. But at the same time, I'm sure they're not proud at all from what of what the film is saying. So it is a very schizophrenic position. And I think I have to really, in a way, it's not about, for me, it's not about what the film has achieved on an international level, but it's about what the film is saying and what the film is showing. And this is what I need to work on now. I mean, mm. now the film is becoming a discussion among people. Now the film is seen, the film is shocking people, the film is igniting this discussion and this debate. So this is the first step. The next step is to take this debate further. So how do, what do we do about this? Mm. How do we face that? How do we work as a government and as people and as NGOs and as you know, um, ministries? And how do we deal with that? Mm. The, it shouldn't, I mean, it should go beyond a simple discussion. And this is my other responsibility also, yeah. you know, in, now uh, to go back and ignite the, the real discussion and organize round tables and talk about it and, and see how it, what it will lead to. We need to work on laws. We need to work on lobbying uh, to change some laws. We, 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 need, we need to really work on the ground. So, so that's the next step for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. just like, here's what it is and I'm gonna move on and like go make a movie in Hollywood. No. <laughs> Without, not saying it's that's difficult. what you do. Yeah. I'm saying like in an imaginary world if someone did yes, that. Yes, yes. Like, I mean, yeah. it's difficult to let go. People ask me, so what is your next project? I don't have a next project. I mean, I'm still in this project. Yeah. There's still so much to do on this project. It's not like you can, you know, turn the page and move on to another adventure or another film. It's difficult to let go. It's really difficult. And, and I feel responsible to keep it going. Mm. Yeah. And I, I need to work on that. This is my next aim. Well, I look forward to that yeah. as well. But I mean, I hope we're going to achieve. Maybe I'm too <laughs> ambitious and maybe I'm too naive no, to think that something is going to change. But I truly believe that we have to start somewhere. And uh, there's many people who are working for so many years. I'm not saying I'm the only, I'm the first, I'm the first person to be working on it. But I'm working on it in a different way, you know, through cinema. And I need to, we need to, there's so many things to do on so many different angles, so many different levels. Um, and I truly believe that we can make a change. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think the, the realism time is over. Like, it's the time of idealism. Yes. 
I, I truly believe so. I'm, I'm not, I hope that my idealistic nature is gonna, not going to be altered by the cynicism of people and, and the irony of, you know, especially cynicism. People yeah. are very cynical. That's the people fight. believe that, you know, nothing is going to change. And, 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 and even they're very cynical towards somebody who wants to make a change. Mm. They're very, you know, they keep putting you down. They keep... Oh, you're doing it for yourself. Like yes, a, yeah. of course. Bad, you know, bad intentions. They don't believe that somebody can have just the pure intentions of wanting to change things. Yeah. I yeah. hope they're not going to change me. <laughs> that, that's I hope sure. so, too. Yeah. I feel the same way. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. And Thank you guys for getting all the way to the end of the longest episode we've ever done. Um, I, I, I promise I'll bring back jokes really, really soon, um, especially because we got Zachary Levi doing a live episode in front of an audience. Um, Benedict Wong and I are going to sit down to talk about Avengers. I'm going to sit down with Paul Rudd, Scarlett Johansson, Chris Hemsworth, the Russo brothers, talk about Avengers as well. So we have some really great stuff in the next few weeks. And uh, thank you for listening. Um, music is by Pro Letter. Um, thank you to Puthena. Thank you to Nadine. Um, Go Fun the Home is in cinemas. It's on iTunes. Track it down. It's worth your time. We can also be found on YouTube at youtube.com slash C slash The Cutaway. TheCutaway.co. I'm on Twitter, Instagram at WH Mullally. Music is by Pro Letter. I think I already said that. Um, Anyhow, I will see you guys next time for some really great stuff. Um, Zachary Levi is up next, so stay tuned.